Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. host Stella and this is Batgirl to Oracle to Batgirl the Barbara Gordon podcast episode 26 for July MMXI episode 26 is actually brought to you by this guy Michael Bailey who was very kind and shipped me five trade paperbacks of no man's land so Michael can you tell me what are all the podcasts that you do because (laughs) if if I I didn't even want to try to write them down because I knew I would forget one so here's your opportunity to to pimp all of your your great productions well, first thing I'd like to say is thank you for having me on the show. I've, oh, I've, of course. I've been there from the beginning. Uh, I was one of those eagerly awaiting it coming out uh, when you were planning it. And I was very touched that you asked me for advice because oh, I don't, course, I don't yeah. really consider myself an expert on these things. But um, main one is Views from the Long Box, which is kind of on a hiatus right now because I'm just trying to get some other things in line so that in September I can launch everything over with a new, new number one. That's that's a joke. I'm not launching views back over with a new number one. I promise. Uh, though a couple people have asked me if I am, so that's kind of weird. And that is my random comic show. I pick a subject uh, to talk about. Like one episode, I talked about identity crisis, which Stella was on, and we had a great conversation about it. Um, the and that, I do that mainly solo, but I have a lot of guests. There's from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast that my friend Jeffrey Taylor and I do for the Superman homepage. Uh, where we are covering the post-crisis Superman from Man of Steel number one to Adventures of Superman number six forty-nine, we are rapidly heading towards the death, and this is one of those big milestone markers of the series for me. Uh, when I when we conceived it, we 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 you know it's like we wanted to get to exile, panic in the sky, and then death, and I hope that it's <laughs> I hope we still have the energy for it after that because. 
There's some wonkiness in the late 90s. Uh, there is Tales of the JSA and Back to the Bins, which I do with my friend Scott Gardner. Uh, Tales of the JSA, we talk about the Justice Society. Uh, we started with the rebirth of the JSA in 1975 with All-Star number 58. Right now we are discussing All-Star Squadron, which is set in World War II, and that is an awesome series, so we're having a lot of fun with that. And next year we are going to be doing our epic coverage of Crisis on Infinite Earths because one of the early ideas we had was to do a Crisis podcast, and then we realized that if we did this, we could just incorporate that into the coverage because we're going in order. So um, really looking forward to that. Uh, and Back to the Bins is a random show where we pick a random book. I pick one, he picks one. We don't know what each other are going to read, and then we talk about them. I'm also part of the Two True Freaks Comics Monthly Monday, which hits the third Monday of every month, where we talk about basically whatever pops into our head, but we also cover Walking Dead, which is an excellent, excellent series. I don't know if you read that or not, or if you've I ever... I do not, no. But I do know of it. Uh, yeah. Well... Even though Kevin disagreed with me, uh, if you ever get the desire to save up the money, because you're going to want to start popping those trades like they were meth or something, because it was heavily addictive to me. And there is this little show called Spider-Man Crawl Space that I've been on for two years now, which is kind of amazing to me, um, uh, that uh, some guy named Brad, you know, hosts it and... There's a guy named Zach and Kevin and Jr. and Stella and I. So, and that is where Stella and I met. Oh. <laughs> uh, and that's a lot of fun. Where we, you know, talk about Spider-Man and there's lots of swearing and there's message board questions that have nothing to do with Spider-Man. <laughs> yes. If 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 there is a zombie apocalypse, I do remember this one. Which person on the cast would you kill first? And everyone said me because they just did not want to see me harmed in any way, I guess, and undergo zombification. So I was appreciative of that. Yeah, because if you were a zombie, no one could shoot you, and then you'd be the most successful zombie, though. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I would lull people into a false sense of security (laughs) and then start chowing down on brains. Num, num, num. Um, Recently, I became part of a show called Xavier's Podcast for Gifted Youngsters, where we are covering X-Men from the very first issue on, and I I'm on that with uh, J. David Weeder and our friend John Wilson, um, which is, and that's a fun show. That show is going to go off the rails so many times when you put John, David, and I in a, in a room, quote unquote, air quotes together. Um, hilarity always ensues. And I have a blog called Fortress of Bailey Tude. I write reviews for the Spider Man uh, Crawl Space and. The uh, Superman homepage, I'm getting a new assignment in September, and I'm really excited about that. But Steve has not announced those yet, so I'm keeping that on the DL in case that's what he wants to do. And somewhere in all that, I sleep, spend time with my wife, and go to work uh, and read. And and that's kind of my life. And uh, every time I get to the end of this list, I feel very sad. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was just thinking, wow, your resume could, you know, be front and back, and mine is just, you know, like two two podcasts. So <laughs> it's it's inter- It's it's like I'm talking to a celebrity. So um, no, not you know, at all. I am just a guy with a microphone, audio editing software, and a lot of comics. So 
I do have to say that, you know, if you ever come up this way, because I know you have family um, in the the state above me, that I now have the perfect T-shirt to wear when I meet you and Rachel. And I actually did purchase that uh, Don't Tell Batman shirt. (laughs) (laughs) So Michael showed me this shirt, and it's Superman carrying Batgirl, and it's so apropos with this episode we're about to do. And and then it says, Don't don't Tell Batman. And uh, I ended up getting it, because, I mean... You know, you always look for very different shirts, and that one's just kind of, wow, yeah. Obviously, they're going off of Batman Beyond continuity there. Oh, gosh. Since that was the... Are you really freaked out by that? Oh, that Bruce and... uh, And Babs were involved with each other? not terribly. I think it's a little weird. But uh, and, and it's mainly because I'm a Dick and Bab shipper. So to think that you know she goes from the ward to then like the the mentor is kind of strange. <laughs> and and I don't really see them, you know, getting together. But then of course watching the '60s series, it's interesting because the commissioner tries to set them up. And then of course they had that date where they went to the. Um, what is that when you the accordion recital? So yes. it, it's it's kind of strange. I guess I'm warming to the idea, but you know. Well, to really be fair, that. Barbara in that series is like 22, 23 years old, and Dick yeah. is still only sixteen. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, even in the sixties, that would have been kind of weird. Yeah. And uh, apparently, Adam West got a little handsy uh, there heard. a couple yeah. of times. So. I should have asked him that, you know, when I was in that interview with him. But I'm actually surprised that Yvonne Craig wasn't there and they had Julie Newmar. It would have been fun to to be able to interview Yvonne Craig. Talk about childhood crushes. Julie Newmar. <laughs> and how many cat women were there? There were three. There was okay. Julie Newmar and she was in seasons one and two. Okay. Uh former I think Miss America, Lee Merriweather played Catwoman in the film because Julie Newmar had other commitments. And then they cast my least favorite, though I don't really have anything against her. I just thought she was the weakest of the three, uh, Eartha Kitt, right. um, who is a sex symbol that I don't understand. Um, and, but that's just me. I mean, it's, yeah. it's nothing against her personally. It's just, I, you know, I see guys falling over themselves, you know, talking about her, and I'm just like, don't see it. Sorry. But, uh, no, you couldn't beat Julie Newmar on that series with a stick uh, as, as far as being Catwoman. So, but, uh, but we'll, be, we'll be talking about one of, one of the goofiest episodes of oh that show gosh, ever. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And I kind of wish George were on here to talk about it with <laughs> us because of his, his, uh, his hatred, I guess, or his loathing of, of hippies. And I just, oh, dear. <laughs> Um, but before we get into that, I do actually have to say that Batgirl to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, kind of like if you don't like wine, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are October's Batgirl number two and Birds of Prey number two, both for two dollars and sixty-nine cents. So, if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. You know, un- until your show, I never knew what nice stood for. Oh, because there I, would be yes. ads for this in the when I was a kid. Mile High Comics had ads in every comic. 
uh, like usually in the middle, they they had like a huge ad, and I sent off for their catalog several times, and they would always pimp the nice subscription service, and I never knew what it stood for until you. So you have enlightened me. Well, it's funny because I would see it on their website all the time, and there really is no clue as to what it is, and I had to go digging for it. So don't <laughs> think that you're alone because I had to go searching. Well, I do, before we get into these issues, how did you get into, like, what was your first exposure to Barbara Gordon? Because I know you're more of a Superman guy, and you're now, you know, getting into Batman, but when was the first time you really got introduced to the character? Well, the deep, dark secret is that I started out as a Batman fan, and I was mainly into Batman until I was about 11 when I started picking up the Superman books, and it was mainly the Adam West series that got me into the character, because it was on every afternoon, and I was four, five, six years old, and I, I took it dead straight. I did not understand that this was supposed to be funny. I just liked the fact that it was Batman and Robin, and they were in the Bat mobile and they fought people and i always looked forward to that because even then i was an angry kid so (laughs) but there would be a waiting game at the beginning of every episode of batman to see if batgirl was going to kick somebody in the face after robin does his punch because i didn't understand that there were different seasons i had no (laughs) i was five what do i know from television and I would always, you know, I always liked the Batgirl episodes because she was another superhero. And she had a really bright and colorful costume, even though it was kind of dark purple. It was bright because it was the 60s. And that was my main exposure to Babs. I really didn't get into her comic book wise until after she was Oracle. Uh, and. I guess Chuck Dixon made me fall in love with the character because I didn't read any of the lead-up miniseries to Birds of Prey, but I picked that first issue of the ongoing off the shelf, and I was hooked. And I really got to like Barbara as a character. Uh, I like her as Batgirl. I really don't have... I'm, like, kind of really on the fence about where she should be. Uh, I prefer her as Oracle, but I see, because of the animated series, I see the benefit of her being Batgirl as well, especially after they went over to the kids' WB. And I was a big fan of Cassandra Kane when she came along, and I read most of her series. And unfortunately, the, the issue we're going to be discussing tonight is the first issue of the Stephanie Brown Batgirl series. Um, but it was really good. I really, really liked it. The first one that you read? Yeah, this was the first okay. issue of the, of the Batgirl series that I read. And uh, I just, to me, Barbara Gordon is kind of the backbone of the Bat universe, uh, especially when she was Oracle, because she kind of connected everybody. Yeah. And I, and, and I mean that in both senses of the word. You know, she kept everybody connected communications-wise, but she was really... You know, her and Tim, I always liked watching them together because Tim was the new Robin even then. And she was, you know, the first Batgirl. So there was kind of a, even though it was usually him helping her hook up cables or (laughs) doing something like that. um, I always liked that she kind of mentored him. And I, like many people, I I like Dick and Babs. Uh, I have nothing against Dick and Starfire. 
because I because I really enjoy New Teen Titans. But when they were developing that relationship and kind of rekindling it in the late '90s and the early aughts, I was really behind that, and then really disappointed that they just dropped it after Infinite Crisis with absolutely no um, no explanation whatsoever. And uh, I'm buying the new Batgirl series, but only because Gail Simone is writing it. I, th- I think that's the only reason I am, because I'm still a little miffed that uh, that they're taking her out of the Oracle role. And because uh, <laughs> the issue of Birds of Prey we're covering tonight, she's still Oracle. Yeah. <laughs> There's no discernible difference to me coming into this series blind between her as Oracle and her not as Oracle in this in this particular issue. So, um, and if I'm sorry, I, I kind of rambled there, but no, I, no, I not at all. No, it was great to get your, your, your thoughts on that. I think in the ideal world, if DC were to hire me <laughs> just for Batgirl titles, um, it would be great to have Barbara as Oracle. And then in another universe have Barbara as Batgirl, but in kind of the year one universe, that would be great mm-hmm. to have like an ongoing then. And then in another universe, we have Stephanie Brown as Batgirl because I think that that would just be great. And, you know, to keep Brian Q. Miller on there. But but I unfortunately did not have that job title. So. I, I'd like to see them do two new titles. And apparently Peter David had this idea. Uh, for when Supergirl was about to get canceled, his Supergirl series, mm-hmm. that he wanted to keep Linda as as kind of the oracle of the Superman universe and have the Supergirl that popped up at the end of that series and Power Girl. And uh, I think he wanted Matrix in there as kind of a birds of prey for the Superman universe. And then separately, in another title, you have Barbara and Cassandra and Stephanie. Yeah. And, but... That's me being a fan. I think that would work, though. I mean, that's what Marvel did with Spider-Man, where they had the Amazing Spider-Man in 616, and then they had Ultimate Spider-Man. So Mm -hmm. I feel like if they were able to do that, you know, why can't we have these two universes as well to kind of... I mean, they're catering... They should cater to their fans, and if fans really want to see Stephanie Brown continue, then they should be allowed that. Well, I I have... I haven't followed her from the very beginning because I didn't start collecting the bat titles until two years after she was uh, first appeared. But I followed her through Robin from like the start of that series. So I have a very, very close fondness for Stephanie as a character. And when she became Robin, I freaking cheered. (laughs) And then I wanted to shoot somebody in the face. Oh yeah. Or drill somebody in the knee, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, um, and that happens during No Man's Land, doesn't it? Or does that happen during... Um, That's War Games. War Games, okay. So I, I'm actually going to take uh, a couple of my trades on my, my trip to Iowa to see some races with my dad. So I'm excited to... to And I know some things about No Man's Land. I had randomly been collecting just Dick and Bab-centered issues. So I, I do know some things. I mean, that's kind of when they're... Their relationship really um, started snowballing, so I'm interested to see the rest of the story. But I also recommend tracking down the novel, if for nothing else, the first uh, the prologue is all written from Babs's point of view. She's writing a letter to her father in case everything goes bad. Yeah, I think a couple people have really recommended that, and then and, they have the audio uh, players as well. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. and it just nails her character in like a chapter. 
uh, Rucka really broke her down and, and not broke her down as in, you know, made her cry or anything <laughs> like that, but just gave the essence of who she was. And that's really why I started collecting the bat titles again. Um, was that novelization, even though I'd been keeping up with Birds of Prey, because how could you not? Yeah, very true. Well, this is a reason why why I enjoy talking with you is because just time goes by and you just, you know, you, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you, you, don't, you talk about anything and everything. But I guess now uh, we should get into the heart of it. I'm so. sorry. I am tangenty. No, I, I no, I had a it was just fun because I just looked at the time quicker and it said 30 minutes. And I thought, oh, well, OK. But um, yeah. So should we should we begin? Sure. Uh, which we're covering 268 first, because yes. I guess this is the reason why you wanted me to be on this uh, episode oh, yeah. is because uh, Superman the... heavy for sure. Yeah. So it's 268, then 279 and then Superman family. Which is so weird. <laughs> all of them were yes, strange. All of these. Oh, man. So, this this think, one. Yeah. The first one that we're covering tonight is uh, Superman number 268. Wild weekend in Washington. <laughs> Oh, man. You know, I I associate the Bronze Age Clark Kent with a lot of things. A Wild Weekend would never be one of them. This has a cover date of October 1973. It was released on or around July 5th of 1973 as a goofy cover by Nick Cardi where Superman is flying a drunken Clark Kent. Um, at least he looks drunk to me. I've got to rush Clark Kent to the hospital, Batgirl. I'm afraid he's dying. And she's riding along on her, her yeah. motorcycle. There is no um, lace trim. And that kind of disappoints me on her motorcycle because now I've come to expect that. Yeah, it's true. After a very confusing splash page giving us the skinny on the story, which is an out-of-town assignment embroils Clark Superman Kent, as well as Congresswoman Barbara Batgirl Gordon in a national espionage and intrigue during a wild weekend in Washington. Uh, The story begins at the Fortress of Solitude, where Superman is thanking his guest, the Batman, for letting him keep the hypnotic jewel they confiscated during their run-in with Efron the Sorcerer. No real word on if that's Zac Efron. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> just about to ask. No, everyone starts singing and dancing. Together. <laughs> okay. Uh, Batman says it's all good since he didn't. He doesn't use the Batcave much anymore. He tells Superman that he has to head back to Gotham to work on a secret solar disintegrator project. You know, the one that Senator Cleary has asked them to develop. Superman acts kind of weird for a moment, repeating the words solar disintegrator and senator clearly like he was, I don't know, being hypnotized or something, leading Batman to ask if he is okay, (laughs) as if nothing happened. Superman says, of course, and that Batman's mentioning Senator Cleary reminded him of the trip to Washington he has to make as Clark Kent. Batman then asks Superman for a favor, and over a succession of panels and the entire trip back to Gotham, Batman convinces Superman that Clark Kent needs to ask out Barbara Gordon because they have so much in common. I mean, she's a congresswoman and a former librarian, as well as the daughter of Commissioner Gordon. And he's an alien from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men, disguised as a mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. Yeah, these two are made for each other. After dropping Batman off, Clark heads to the airport and thinks this is... (laughs) This is so weird. 
where is that line? Um, all I need is all I need is to have my life complicated by some redheaded congresswoman. What is going on? I don't know. He is nearly late for the flight, but delays them just enough with his superpowers. And once he is settled in his seat, thinks that the trip would better go off as planned. And I, <laughs> I was waiting for the or else. And I don't know, maybe he was going to throw the plane into the sun. Once in Washington, he calls up Barbara Gordon, who is finding politics isn't all that much fun. She agrees to be his date for the reception for the emperor of Ethiopia at the White House. Clark once again has his doubts about the whole thing, but goes on the date anyway and proceeds to bore Barbara to tears. She sees salvation in Senator Cleary, but when Barbara introduces them to uh, introduces the two, Clark blurts out something about the Solar Disintegrator Project. Cleary feigns ignorance, and Barbara gets them out of there. After Clark drops her off, and what an awkward moment that was. <laughs> he is kidnapped and taken to Mr. J. And every time I see Mr. J., I hear Arlene Sorkin as Harley Quinn. That's ex- yes, exactly. Because I thought, oh, wait, is Joker going to pop out of this? Yes. Um, actually, that probably would have made this story a lot more entertaining. <laughs> uh, Mr. J tells them that he can save a lot of trouble by telling them what they want to know. The next day, the Daily Planet reports on Clark's disappearance. And apparently it was the really slow news day because it is the main headline. Barbara is informed by the FBI that she is above suspicion, though I have the feeling if Barbara had disappeared after going out with Clark, they'd be grilling him pretty hard at this point. (laughs) Before she changes into Batgirl and doing some good old-fashioned detective work that leads her to a certain garage where she uses a listening device to find out what is going on inside. Inside, Clark is being hypnotized, or so Mr. J believes. Apparently, he is checking out the lay of the land, and after they toss him back in his cell, he uses his jacket to cover the camera and then uses his x-ray vision to see Mr. J's minions investigating a disturbance. The disturbance is the awesome Batgirl, who is nearly shot from behind until Superman shows up to give her a hand. Mr. J orders his men to attack with their flash guns, and after giving Barbara his cape for protection because it is invulnerable, he makes short work of the flash gun bad guys as well as the attackers with the plutonium bazookas. Batgirl gets away from the chaos and tracks down Mr. J, who runs for it, while Batgirl tackles his men. Mr. J runs smack dab into Superman, and soon Batgirl joins him, only to run off again to check on Clark. Superman hits Mr. J with a Vulcan nerve pinch and essentially uses him as a human dummy of Clark Kent. He drops Mr. J off with the FBI before heading to the hospital as Clark. And Clark waits about an hour when Barbara Gordon shows up. Apparently she wanted to see him before he left and seems impressed that he broke up a spy ring. They make small talk, but Clark is still confused why he blurted out those secrets to Senator Cleary. Back at the fortress, Superman reveals to Batman that he thinks the jewel they put away was the cause because it is magic and all. Batman heads into where the jewel is since Superman doesn't want to go near the thing, but both heroes are soon shocked to discover that the jewel is missing, leading the Man of Steel to wonder what happened to it. And that's the end of the story. Wow, yeah. Or part one of the story, anyways. Um, um, <laughs> I don't have the next issue, so I don't know what happens. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I wondered what became of this magic jewel. All of a sudden, you know, we're cut off, and, you know, I it, it it's weird. It, it looks like the eye of Agamotto. Yeah. <laughs> To the to the nth power because it's so large. <laughs> so 
you know, there are a couple things. And the, the, the thing with this episode is actually going to be like as if it were your podcast because I'm just going to be asking questions all over the place <laughs> since I don't really know too much about Superman. So the first thing that really caught my attention is this large key that he uses to open his fortress. Mm-hmm. And then I thought to Smallville and I thought, well, how nice that Smallville had that octagonal disc and, and this is really heavy and awkward. So what is with that large key? Do you know? It is so... It is so large that normal people couldn't use it to get into the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, It was also used as a directional marker for aircraft, which is kind of funny because when he was there, he would hang it up in the Fortress. It had its own, like, little, like, these two giant things that stuck out of the ice, and he would hang the key on top of it. Um, I, um, I never liked the giant key. I like the Fortress of Solitude a lot. I actually really like what Grant Morrison did in All-Star Superman by having him have a key that's made of white dwarf matter that he hides under the um under the mat cuz then nobody but him could pick it up. But yeah, that's 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 how he got into the fortress back in the day. Did they ever retcon that? Um in the post-crisis universe, the fortress was in an ice flow. So its position was constantly changing, and the only way he could get into it at first was to burrow into the ice with his heat vision. Uh, So since he's really the only one that can do that and the only one that could actually find it since it was moving constantly, uh, he did that around Superman the Man of Steel number 100. He he and John Henry Iron Steel constructed a fortress inside a terrasect. So you had this giant ball sitting in the Arctic. And once you went inside, it's kind of like a TARDIS from Doctor Who. It's bigger on the inside. Uh, and that was destroyed during um, the Brian Azzarello, Jim Lee run, and he had a fortress uh, in the Amazon for about five seconds, which I hated uh, because I like the cold and I hate the heat. So I, I wanted him to hang out in the cold, and I like polar bears, and I was always, I always wanted to see the story where he had a pet polar bear. I don't know. Drinking Coke. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, then after Infinite Crisis, they had the whole Crystal Fortress from Superman. So they changed it quite a bit. Well, the one thing that I think bothered me the most about this issue is all the attempts at romance. So we yeah. have we have Batman trying to set Clark up with Babs. <laughs> Which is, it's a little strange. And then we have Bab saying yes to Clark, and yet talking about a date with a handsome lobbyist. And I'm just thinking, wait, what about Jason? So, Jason Bard. Well, Gotham's far away. uh, But I thought they were going to continue, you know. It it just seemed like this issue was ignoring continuity. I feel like Jason Bard and Babs are still somewhat dating. So. I was really creeped out by, and, and it's not that... It's not like the concept of Clark Kent and Barbara Gordon dating would be, like, the most awful thing to ever happen to comic books ever. But they really have absolutely nothing in common. And while this Clark was a little different from, like, the 50s and 60s incarnation as he dressed a little nicer and, you know, had more of a social life uh, and friends and such, he, uh, I just don't see the two of these people... The, it'd be kind of like Superman and Batgirl dating. It's like, how does that work? Yeah. I mean, really? 
seriously, someone explain it to me because I read this issue and was crying and rocking back and forth and wondering why it was wrong, Daddy. Uh, and it's funny. We'll get to it uh, at the epilogue of the next issue. <laughs> but it's funny because, you know, she even comments that Superman is in no way like Clark Kent. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's very, very strange to be sure. Uh, but actually, talking about this romance, my, my quote from the issue was uh, from Clark, um, because Batman told him that she was probably lonely in Washington, and then he says, lonely, Batman said. Babs is about as lonely here as a kitty in a catnip factory. My favorite was, <laughs> I'm supposed to cover that reception for WGBS, not waste time with a congresswoman. Oh, gosh. I know he's so dead set against the date. I it's, I don't know. But Bat, it's it's like Bat, it's, I get the feeling that Batman's sitting in the Batcave laughing at all of this. Like, he set this up as a giant practical joke. Like, <laughs> like those two will ever date. <laughs> Uh, did you take notice of uh, Barbara's Batgirl costume? Um, if you notice, there's collars on the outfit. Uh, and yeah. I thought that was very strange. And we actually see the same one. I think we see it in Superman, the next one. And then I think even in Superman Family. And I'm just wondering, did her change to Congresswoman all of a sudden, like, politicize her <laughs> her Batgirl outfit? Now she has to have, like, a polo shirt kind of thing underneath <laughs> it. It was very strange, though, to see this collar. That is, I, I, I can honestly say I didn't notice it. But, yeah, that it's almost like they wanted to make her more like Robin's cape. Uh, with the collar on it, so okay. that is that is very strange. It really doesn't belong either. Yeah, no, it was it was strange. Yeah, strange is the word of the of the podcast. I think <laughs> it will be. Um, yeah, what were your your initial thoughts of this issue? Um, a wonky splash page because it starts off at the top with high over the marble and brick structures that cut the horizon of the nation's capital flies the familiar blue and red form of Superman. And then at the bottom, Clark Kent's being menaced by thugs. And it's just like, what is one, one of these things is not like the other. Um, I, 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 page two, I'm really confused why Batman is, is hard selling Babs on Clark. The, the two have absolutely nothing in common. Um, Page three has a really cute trick with the freeze breath and the heat vision because he's running late for his flight. Right, yeah. Because I guess that's just to keep up appearances. Yeah, because I was going to ask, you know, um, why can't he just save on airfare and actually fly there? But, yeah, it doesn't make sense that he probably needs some sort of trail, paper trail. Uh, They actually make a joke about that in um, Superman 4. Uh, a new a new owner takes over the Daily Planet, and Lois walks in to say something, and he's talking to Clark and going, "Why are there no travel expenses for you, Clark?" Um, God, that was an I like that movie, but that was one of the worst scenes. Um, uh, but he 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 freezes the door shut, and then uses his heat vision to unfreeze it. Uh, page four. Clark is so disinterested asking for this date that I'm really surprised that he got it. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Uh, page five. What an awkward conversation between Clark and Babs. Because really, 
in my mind when I was reading this, I would I was kind of expecting that maybe they'd be somewhat attracted to each other in a really bizarre way. Uh just maybe he would find something attractive in her, something in their conversation. Like, you know, he's he's a smart guy. He's, he's a worldly individual. He's a reporter for a major newspaper. She's a congresswoman. But, no, he's sitting there talking about what he did in college. And it's just like, wow, I was better at dating than this before I got married. And I didn't have a date for four years at one point. Um and the headline on the next page, reporter Clark Kent missing, vanishes. Nothing else in the world happens. Yeah. Left taxi in front of home of Gotham Congresswoman and failed to return. Can you see this happening today and how like there would be like this major controversy that Fox News and CNN and everybody would be covering? <laughs> you know, they'd be talking about it on all the talking head show would put the debt ceiling story out of the news for a little while so i really like the batgirl montage because uh i really like this costume uh collar aside um my favorite actually is the the tv version but that was the first one i was ever exposed to but this one when drawn right is, is really really neat and i like it a lot so it's good to see her doing batgirly things yeah at least she's without that that red purse, the weapons bag. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the cover of my Batgirl showcase and remembering how angry everybody was when that book came what out. What is that? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I do have to applaud Superman though for not X-raying through Batgirl's mask when they're together. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was nice and ethical. I do have to ask you though. Now, now Superman takes off his cape. Mm-hmm. And he gives it to Babs as if that were to protect her. Can you explain what is special about this cape? Uh, it's made of Kryptonian material and is okay. invulnerable. So okay. he w- he would do that a lot. Uh, he would shield people with his cape. Um, he could wrap people. <laughs> he would wrap people in the cape, and there would be a pocket of air, and he could travel in space with them. Wow. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really amazing cape. It was uh, part of the fabric that came with him to earth from krypton and he martha kent had him use his heat vision to break it down to thread she made a needle out of one of the pieces of metal from the ship and she sewed his play suit together and through the magic of comic book science it grew up with him cape included so yeah that whole thing in fact they would um they would the the costume itself is invulnerable so there were there would be stories where superman would lose his powers but his suit would still kind of act like a bulletproof vest because it was still invulnerable yeah i know it's really weird but it happened so yeah one thing i did like uh it seems like Superman's a real powerhouse in this issue because mm-hmm. there, how many panels are there where it's just him being blasted by things? It's oh, a great, we should try this. Yeah. It's a great action scene. Uh, I really feel bad that Babs doesn't do a whole lot. No. But it is Superman's book. Yeah. So it makes kind of sense. I mean, if she did, you know, she she tackled a bunch of guys and hid behind Superman's cape. So yeah. She didn't sure. tug on it, though, because so, you don't tug on Superman's cape. Oh, my do you think it's believable that she was so easily duped that the unconscious man he held um, no. after he... Pin- you don't think it's believable? Okay. Not at all. 
Not because her. I just thought, why isn't she walking around and checking to be sure that's him? I don't know. <laughs> See the awkward scene of him constantly moving Clark out of the way? Yeah. <laughs> she walks around and he walks around like, it's okay, seriously, no, look, donuts. Donuts. Oh, my. Donuts were the first thing that popped into my head. I apologize. No, that's okay. So what would you give this as a grade? <laughs> I, I would give it uh, 8 out of 10 bats okay. and uh, 8 out of 10 shields as well. Uh, okay. Is that how you rate your Superman books? No, it's just I figured for this show I would adopt that. That's pretty um, exciting. You should adopt that. The um, It's wonky, but it is still extremely entertaining to read. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I There was at no point in this issue where I was bored, or at the story at least, uh, where I was bored. It moved along at a pretty good clip. And I think for the sheer moxie of them trying to put these two characters, because at least the scene at the end was less awkward. Like, she seemed to actually think some, um, more highly of Clark. As if they were friends, yeah. Um, and, you know, seeing them kind of walking together until we get the scene with, with her and, and Babin. I have no idea... No idea why Babs doesn't know Bruce Wayne's Batman. It's not like she hasn't proven herself as a hero. And I really don't know why these two can't know each other's identities as well. Yeah, and then we'll get into that, too, with the Supergirl thing. Because Mm -hmm. you would think that, you know, they'd have some sort of bond and then, I don't know, decide to take off their masks. But um, (laughs) And a thousand slash fiction stories are born. Oh, shippers! Yeah, seriously. I would give this 7 out of 10 bats, so I guess one one gray below. Um, I, it was nice. What I liked most about it is that we finally get to see Barbara in her new role as Congresswoman. But it, I feel like it's written really weird. I mean, she makes this comment like, politics aren't fun. I miss, you know, my old, I mean, did you expect this to be a really happy and exciting <laughs> job? I was just kind of like, what? What is going on? But it was. It was very strange. But, Yes. Um, so I guess the next one then, uh, Superman number 279, which I have had since I was 13 years old. Oh, do you have a story behind this? Uh, I, I had a friend who lived in my neighborhood, uh, that I met in junior high named Wang Chung, who was, who was everybody Wang Chung tonight. That's like Wang Okay. I was just his name. I, I, I'm not here to judge. And... He was into comic books, and he saw that I was into comic books, and he actually was more responsible for me kind of getting into the larger world, because up until that time, I only read basically what was on the stands. And he is the one that told me about Beachhead Comics, which was the first comic shop I ever went to, and we would trade comics. And I'll never forget reading Crisis on Infinite Earths number five. That was my first issue of Crisis, and I loved it. And I wasn't lost at all. Um, But he had this issue. And we traded, I forget what I traded him for. Uh, It was was like two or three books, because this was an older book. Uh, But yeah, I've I've had this one for a really long time, and I love the cover of uh, just the very dynamic cover. Superman looks a little wonky, but Batgirl looks pretty cool, falling to her death, which sounds... Really, uh, uh, together again by popular demand, apparently. Um, <laughs> and I could actually see comic fans of the 70s writing in and going, more Batman, Batgirl, and Superman, because this makes sense. 
Or maybe not. Um, this is the Menace of the Energy Blackmailers, cover date September 1974, so I am still not born. Um, released on June 11th, 1974. So this is literally almost a year after the last one. Uh, another cover by Nick Cardi. The credits on this bad boy uh, are Elliot S. Magan, story, uh, art by Kurt Swan and Phil Zupa, and edited by Julia Schwartz, the greatest hero of su- of them all, Superman, co-starring the flame-haired woman of shadows. What? Yeah. And this is the second time they've used that epithet, so I, I don't know. That's very it, strange. Well, what ranks higher, this or the dazzling dare doll? Yeah, or Domino Dare. Oh, I feel d- like Domino, Domino, Domino Dare doll seems better. This is like very kind of sexy, like she's just a woman. But the Domino Dare doll makes it seem like she's an actual superhero, in my opinion. A city runs on fuel, energy, power. But when power-hungry men decide to draw the great, drain the great cities dry, it takes a man of steel and a maid of darkness to stop the menace. <laughs> the menace of the energy blackmailers. Our story begins at the Daily Planet, where Clark Kent receives a call from Batman. Apparently, the Dark Knight needs Clark, or rather, Superman's help. Soon, Superman is in the Batcave, and we find the first part of the plan involves Superman posing as Batman at a charity event, despite the fact that in my notes, I wrote Superman is posing as Superman. (laughs) I don't double-check my notes, because I'm just saying them. Um, Superman reminds Batman to whistle for him. You know how to whistle, don't you? You just put your lips together and uh, I'll stop the Casablanca references Uh, when he's ready. And soon Superman, as Batman, is doing all kinds of acrobatic feats and doing a spot on impersonation of Batman, much like he would do in the 1999 episode of Superman, the animated series Nighttime. Meanwhile, Batman is at Gotham Harbor, where he takes on a couple of bad guys uh, who are stealing fuel and taking it out to sea. Back at the charity event, Barbara Gordon who just happens to be in the audience, tries to catch Batman before he leaves. Just then, Batman whistles for Superman, who is busy changing from Batman to Clark Kent. A quick change into Superman later, the Man of Steel is off to help his friend. Barbara Gordon enters the dressing room, because apparently there is absolutely no security in this place, and finds Batman's shirt and cape, which is kind of weird, but not as weird as finding Clark Kent's pants and press card. Before we can linger on for that too, uh, on that for too long, we cut to Superman and Batman taking down a group of bad guys that were going to steal fuel and then sell it back to Gotham at ten times the going rate. The captain points out that this ain't legal because they are in international waters, but the Dark Knight is quick to point out that he is interested more in justice than in the law. Besides, Superman has lifted the boat into the air and flown it back into the three-mile marker, so everything's kind of moot As you would imagine, this makes the news in Gotham, leading Babs very confused about why Clark was standing in for Batman. She is heading to Metropolis anyway, so Babs decides to visit Clark. Once she reaches the Daily Planet, she asks Steve Lombard, scumbag of the Superman universe, where Clark is, and after he lays hands on her (laughs) while making a pass, Babs drops him. Just flips him to the ground, which is what Steve Lombard deserves, because he is a jerk. (laughs) Babs and Clark are soon reunited, and the congresswoman is quick to ask the reporter what the heck is going on. Clark stalls for time, and suddenly a bunch of fire engines rush by, leading Clark to use his telescopic vision to see a skyscraper near the giant twin towers vibrating and crumbling to pieces. 
He ditches Babs and changes to Superman, spins around the building to counter the vibrations, and just as he is wondering where the vibrations come from, a boat off the coast of Metropolis announces... I love 70s dialogue. How can you not love 70s dialogue? Attention, Metropolis. This is the controller. Surrender your month's supply of fuel oil or face destruction. Uh, (laughs) Superman heads out as the citizens of Metropolis start to freak the freak out. Meanwhile, Babs has changed to Batgirl, and being more level-headed, figures out that the disturbance isn't being caused by the ship, but originates from the Twin Towers. Superman figures this out, too, and soon joins Batgirl, and isn't really confused where she came from, to smash into one of the tower's windows where the signal is coming from. They find J. Saul Carey, head of Carey Oil, and soon it is revealed that Carey Oil is going broke, and that he will turn Metropolis into a wasteland before he goes broke. Carrie gives the order to dump the oil, but come on, this is Superman. And he drinks up all of that oil and deposits it into the now-repaired ship. Carrie pokes fun at this, but Batgirl is quick to defend the Man of Steel and point out how lucky they are to live in a world where Superman exists. Epilogue. Clark, Lois, and Bab watch Clark's story on being a hero for a day, where he explains he was able to impersonate Batman using a bunch of rigging like actors use to fly in stage plays. Babs buys the story hook, line, and sinker, but Lois is suspicion, suspicious as to why Superman was in Gotham at the same time. Clark explains to Babs that Lois is always trying to prove that he is really Superman, but Bab thinks that the, he is no more Superman than she is one of the chic Yaman Lee's belly dancers. And that's the end. Yeah. Well, you know... Lois is kind of a smart cookie, and I do have mm-hmm. to respect her, especially because I've talked on several episodes about kind of this Batgirl Barbara syndrome, where I don't know how no one has figured out that they're the same people, especially when she's in foreign countries. Yeah. And, you know, Barbara's in Spain, and then all of a sudden Batgirl's in Spain, but no one puts two and two together. They both have red hair. Yeah, so at least, you know, Lois is kind of catching on and, and yeah, pursuing these leads yeah but it's it's better in the 70s because she really calms down because like 30 to 40 percent of the plots of the silver age were lois trying to prove that clark is superman in some way shape form or fashion so uh the, the thing about that epilogue that strikes me is that neither of them look at Clark in the Batman uniform and wonder where those washboard abs came from. <laughs> it's like, wow, Clark is cut. Yeah. <laughs> they are really protruding in the in these uh, panels here, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, so I have a couple things to say about this this whole charity concert. First of all, I don't think that Batman is the type, and maybe it's our Batman, and this 70s Batman is different from the Batman we know. Uh But I feel like he's not the type of guy to attend a uh, a charity concert. This was still the era where Batman was um, much more popular and, and and kind of like a celebrity as well as a hero where he would you know appear places and and do stuff like this it it was really after 1986 uh between dark knight returns and then later in the year year one 
where they really tried to play up the, you know, creature of the night doesn't come out uh, during the daylight type of thing. And then after zero hour, he would be an urban legend. So this stuff would never happen again. So, but at the time, this was pretty much par for the course. This would, this would have been a very plausible plot. And uh, I always like stories where Superman and Batman poses each other, even though it makes no sense at all. It doesn't make a lick of sense. I mean, at least, but at least Superman gets to use super ventriloquism. Which is, yeah, which is exactly, you mentioned uh, Nightfall, and that's exactly the thing I was Mm -hmm. thinking of, because I remember when he was talking to Tim about how he can mimic different people's voices, and then he mimics Tim, and Tim is really upset, and he goes, don't do that again. So, yeah, it definitely reminded me of that episode. I love that episode. It's one of my favorites, ever. (laughs) Um, this was, again, a strange, a strange issue. Yes. Um, number one, Superman is, he swims to the barge, which at (laughs) least they explained it because he did not want to be seen. Yes. Then later on, you clearly see, uh, they have little binoculars, circles and everything in the art. The guy looking through the binoculars clearly sees Superman and Batman, but uh, uh, you know apparently all is all is quiet on the Western Front. And then the next page, when they're actually five feet in front of them, you know he realizes, oh, it's Superman and Batman. So that kind of threw me for a loop. When you see something with pointed ears, do you know which uh, which panel I'm talking about? Yeah, that is kind of funky. I uh, not as funky as Clark in super in his. Like, white shirt and tie, but Superman's pants and boots, which is just really, (laughs) really weird to me. And, yeah, he he sees this, I guess, maybe because it's so far away, he doesn't notice the cape. Maybe. I don't know. I have no explanation for this. I just see the pointed ears, and I think, well, what else could that be? A jackal? I I don't, I don't know. And I I think the setup of, of Babs finding Batman's top and Clark's pants is weird. Yeah. But it gets things going, so I'm not really going to complain too much. If you linger on that, everything else just kind of falls apart. So, so um, I like the idea that Batman is more concerned about justice than the law, because to me, that's why Batman exists in the first place. You know, if the law worked fine, you wouldn't need Batman. You know, so I, 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 it's kind of a more of a hardline stance than like the '60s Batman. Uh, before Denny O'Neill took over, but I just I dig I dug that scene, uh, as well as Superman lifting up the boat. Um, let's see. Well, let's talk about Steve Lombard. <laughs> um, who is this this skis bag that we we, we find in the uh, in the elevator? Steve Lombard showed up after uh, Julius Schwartz took over the Superman titles in in, in the late. Late 1970, early 1971, and he was created as one of the supporting cast from WGBS because at this time, Clark is not only a reporter for the Daily Planet, he is also a newscaster uh, every night on WGBS, and Steve's the sports guy, and his main function was to play tricks on Clark. That was his character. You know, he would set up something, Clark would see it coming, and it would end up backfiring on, on Steve somehow. Like, he would set up a bucket of water in a, uh, over a door, and Clark would see it coming, 
and somehow make Steve walk through the door or keep the water up there. It was kind of it was kind of like a wily e. coyote type thing where the roadrunner would run by the gun and the gun doesn't go off, so the wily e. coyote looks at the gun and it goes off in its face. It's a lot what happened here. Uh, my favorite moment with Steve Lombard in the in the seventies came around two ninety six, two ninety seven. Uh, where there was a story where this alien had it so if Superman was dressed as Clark Kent, he didn't have any powers. But if he wore the suit, his powers would return. And he was trying to find out what it would be like living just as Clark Kent. And he starts dating Lois. In fact, it's heavily implied that they spent the night together. And him and Steve Lombard are in a... Are, are in an elevator and Steve picks on Clark and Clark's like, shut up. And Steve's like, ah, oh, yeah, what are you going to do? And the elevator doors open and Steve Lombard's on the ground. Cause Clark has just punched him in the face. And I was just like, yes, finally. <laughs> so he was also kind of like that seventies ladies man who liked the ladies. And I could see him totally hitting on, on Babs, but Normally, and, and you and I have had this conversation before, I, I'm not one for women just randomly hitting guys, but all bets are off when a strange man lays hands on you. Yeah. You know, because he, he grabs her by the shoulders, and I'm like, yeah. stranger danger. Exactly. <laughs> and calls I, her sunset. I, I, yeah. I would have been more impressed if she had brought her hands up, breaking his two arms apart, grabbed him by the back of the head, and brought her knee up to his face. Oh, but, uh... This works out well. Yeah. <laughs> Using a little judo. Another question I have about Superman is, what is a cape pouch? Because he talks about it. Okay. <laughs> Superman had a pouch in his cape that he would hide the Clark Kent clothes in. Because he would treat all of his suits with a, uh, a compound, much like the Flash had in his ring, that would allow him to compress the cloth down to like a hand size and he would hide it in the pouch and his glasses so that when he was off being Superman, he wouldn't have to leave his clothes laying around. So apparently he had a weapons bag, just like Babs. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you're telling me? Yes, pretty much. I mean, it, it sounds goofy, but it, 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 it was just one of those things of this era of Superman. He had a pouch in his cape. Was that on the inside or the outside? Uh, and on the inside. Okay. Because it would be really awkward if he was flying along and suddenly a suit flew out <laughs> with that's his true. press card and everything. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, another strange thing that happened, and I had to do kind of a, what? Is, is Superman inhaling all of that oil? You know... I, I got nothing. Uh, okay, it does, I it thought do- you were going to try to explain that. No. I mean, because the only thought I had with that was it kind of reminded me of Superman 3. Because in that movie, Superman goes evil and starts working for the bad guys because some busty blonde has sex with him. It's what happens. Uh, and he bursts open this oil ship and oil starts spewing into the ocean. Well, after he becomes Superman again... He flies out to the ocean and uses his super breath to put all of the oil back into the ship. And then he bends the metal around. And then, because this is a smart thing to do, he uses his heat vision to seal the ship shut. Um, they, I guess 
I would be willing to put money that if they had the money for the special effects, they would have had him scooping up all the oil in his mouth and spewing it back out here. It is a little creepy, isn't it? It's it's a little strange. And then you have Barbara talking with the bad guy, which mm-hmm. you, we'll get to this when we talk about the 60s TV television series because I was kind of flabbergasted as to why Barbara is talking to this creeper in her apartment all nonchalantly. <laughs> yeah. But she's talking to this guy and you know, is basically asking, you know, where did Superman go? And then he says, oh, he probably went to find some mouthwash. I, I like that. Yeah, I, I guess it just reminded me of like a Family Guy episode or something. I, I actually like that Babs was the more level-headed one here. You know, she did, yeah, she did figure out you know where the vibrations were coming from, and and Superman figured it out too. It's not like he was adult, right. but he was just angry and wanted to go deal with the situation. But she's like, you know, Superman sure is rushing off, you know, kind of roughshod and. And figures out, and I, uh, I really wish it's nothing against Kurt Swan because I, I think '70s Kurt Swan is 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 more appealing to me than his artwork from the '60s. But I really wish we would have had a more dramatic shot of them breaking into the the window together, because that's you know the shirt rip from a few pages before was really epic, and then they just kind of break into the window. And oh, we're here. It's just like no, that's like one of the money shots of the uh, that that should have been like the cover <laughs> of them breaking in Superman and Batgirl, the most weird team up ever. Yeah, so, you stay here while I take care of everything. <laughs> I could kind of I, I really saw that scene as as one from Batgirl Year One, where at mm-hmm. the you know the ninth issue where. She connected um, the moth copter to mm-hmm. the water tower, and then she drops, and she was saying, you know, oh, I hope I've calculated this right. And, you know, in this issue where she's dropping, she's, you know, mentally calculating, okay, which floor is it, and then goes through. So it really connected those two for me. Yeah, I um, I really like – they used her a lot more effectively in this in this story than in the previous one because she gets to do more she gets yeah. to figure things out yeah. and and I don't know if that was something they were consciously doing but it's something that I noticed it's like this even though the whole setup is just as wonky as the last one this one actually plays out a little bit more as a team up <laughs> instead of both of them showing up at the same place yeah yeah I was going to say yeah she goes from like a minor character to an actual co-star kind mm-hmm. of thing well, what grade would you give this issue? I'd give it a 7 out of 10 bats. Um, I, I I think Batgirl was better used in this one, but the plot was a little better. The, the actual plot of the story, even though Batgirl got to do more here, because, I mean, when, when, when you boil this one down, a rich guy was trying to steal oil and sell it back because his company was going out of business. Yeah. Whereas there was actually some political intrigue, um, so so that's that's what I'd give it up. Uh, one final note: Sheikh Ahmed Zaki Yamanli is a Saudi Arabian politician that served as the Minister of Petroleum and Mineral Resources from 1962 to 1986. Because I saw her make the reference at the end, and I wanted to see who that guy was. Oh, so. okay. Well, thank you for that. It's kind of now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Yeah, for sure. And in GI Joe, the other half is not dying. Oh my gosh. 
Um, I also would give it 7 out of 10 bats. Uh, again, some stranger aspects to this story and perhaps a little more unbelievable than the last one. But I, I think it's definitely nice to see uh, Babs kind of one-upping Superman with her smarts. And it's definitely the, the Barbara that we know where she's intelligent and, and she thinks on her feet and everything. So I did like that. Um, I Yeah. Yeah? I was just about to say, I, I was wondering... They, I was wondering if they could have played a little more with that final scene of maybe Lois getting a little jealous. Oh, of, another uh, woman in there, yeah. It's like, not only does he bring another woman, he brings a smoking hot redhead. <laughs> so, who's a little younger than her. Or a so tro- she- yeah. Where, are they at his apartment? I have... <laughs> Did they say? I, I don't know where they are. Let me Let me look at that page one more time, flipping through this goofy, fabulous world of Krypton story. Um, I think they are at his apartment. That's very strange. I, well, I he is turning think. the TV off, so maybe it is his. <laughs> I don't know. Is there like a? Is that an ashtray on the table? What is that? Yes, but that would have been very common in the seventies. Oh. Even even at a non-smoker's apartment. Oh, okay, interesting. They they probably would have had one in case a smoker came over, since smoking was a little more socially acceptable. Gotcha. In nineteen seventy-three. Uh, the one more comment I have to make is that I feel like this uh, issue really rings true with today, if only because of the oil, mm-hmm. this crisis that we're in, and then the whole Twin Towers thing. And obviously, I mean, I assume it's not the same Twin Towers, but just kind of seeing those two pillars, I was like, oh, wow, those remind me of the World Trade Center. Yeah, it was very, it was kind of common in this era that Metropolis basically kind of stood in for, they had like the same landmarks in Metropolis in New York. So, Metropolis, in fact, that actually led to um, a very, very minor controversy. Uh, The day after 9-11 in 2001, comics came out, because it was Wednesday. And the issue of Adventures of Superman, which had this epic cover of this shirt rip and the new S, uh, because at the time, Superman had black instead of yellow on the S, because it was for the people that died during Our Worlds at War. There was a shot in the comic of destruction in Metropolis, and there was these two smoking twin towers. Now, there's absolutely no way, one, that DC could have known that the towers were coming down, because the book was probably drawn a month beforehand. And two, they couldn't have pulled the book, because it was already shipped. You know, it was already at stores on Tuesday, because that's when stores actually get their books, so that they can have it ready on um, for the... Um, for the customers on Wednesday. So. Right. But that's just me. Yeah. Well, I heard a little jingle jangle, and I have to ask if your dog is now with- Yes, Boo. Uh, Rachel woke up from her nap, and uh, Boo came by. So Boo always makes appearances when <laughs> I make appearances. So, it's, so it's yeah, cool. a little Easter egg for <laughs> listeners if you hear a little jingle jangle. Uh, and now we're on our final Superman and this is Superman Family number 171, Cleopatra, Queen of America. Cover dates. Can you explain them? Why do they give one date uh, on the cover, but it actually comes out at a different time? Back, uh, this actually goes farther back to magazine publishing, that the idea was is that you published with a cover date that was several months before uh, the comic uh or after the comic came out. So if you have it in June, the cover date's going to be in like uh, 
August or September so that you could keep the book on the stands longer. Because if it has a June cover date and it's released in June, in July, it, you know, people feel the need to pull those things down. So they would keep it with a further out cover date so that they could keep it on the stands longer. Around 1988, um, around September of that year, DC uh, and Marvel did it around this time as well, had two months where there were no cover dates on the comics. There was uh, sometimes there was none. Sometimes there was winter. Sometimes there was holiday. And then the cover dates, as they are now, started to be two months out. Um, still, I guess to stay on the newsstand longer, or whatever. I uh, it, I actually learned all about that in a letters page in the Flash. Oddly Ooh. enough, so back when I was a youngling, before Barry Anna, Allen or Wally West. Uh, I was a Wally West book. Okay. It was one of the early appearances of Chunk, and if you don't know who Chunk is, he's a big fat guy who has like a off of the Goonies. Um, yes. Did you see that episode of the Justice League Unlimited with Booster Gold, where the guy had the black hole in him? Yes. That was basically what Chunk had in him. He had a singularity in him that allowed him to swallow large amounts of things, and it transported it to another dimension. What a great power to have. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, this issue had, had a cover date of June slash July. I guess it was on some sort of border there. 1975. Writer Elliot S. Exclamation point. Megan. I, I don't know. Star, uh, stands for Superman. Does it really? Yes. Elliot Magan, um wrote... His first com- published comic book story when he was in uh, college. Uh, it was a Green Arrow story that appeared, that was drawn by Neil Adams, uh, where he momentarily considered running for mayor, which is something that they would play out in World's Finest and then do again after Infinite Crisis. And um, a very young Jeff Loeb was friends with him. So there's a connection there, too. Uh, But, yeah, the S stands for Superman. Wow. Okay. Artist was Kurt Swan again, and then the inker Vince Coletta. Also included. Oh, no. Why did you say, oh, no? Vinnie Coletta is a terrible inker. Uh Uh, Also included in this issue. There are other problems with this issue besides (laughs) the inking. (laughs) Uh, Also included in this issue is the irresistible Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen Boy Wonder. Lily Bet, I have no idea what type of name that is, Windsor, an exchange student from London, is visiting an exhibition of an ancient Egyptian rod once used by Cleopatra and suddenly feels herself drawn to it. As it breaks out of its own encasement and goes to her, she finds that all around her bow to her in servitude. Meanwhile, Congresswoman Barbara Gordon is paying a visit to the new Athens campus where she is shown around by Linda Danvers. Neither are aware that they are indeed Batgirl and Supergirl, respectively. When a tornado inside a building threatens students, both women don their costume guises and save the students within. Batgirl and Supergirl find out that it's the Egyptian staff, once owned by Cleopatra, that is causing the trouble, and at Lilibet's request, Supergirl takes the staff away. 
Lilibet claims that she would never want to dominate her chummies at New Athens, or I should say chummies at New Athens, and so Supergirl returns the staff. When Wonder returns to her apartment, she sees on the news that the U.S. Congress, with the exception of Barbara Boots Gordon, who voted against it, has turned over powers to the United States to a new queen, Cleopatra, who is really Lilibet. Chapter 2 begins with Supergirl flying to Washington, D.C. Supergirl is met by Babs, and she attempts to wrest the mind-controlling wand from Lily Bet's hands, but this fails, the rod weakening her powers. Lily Bet then sicks the Justice League of America against Supergirl, and their combined might makes short work of the Girl of Steel, who is thrown off a bridge a la Gwen Stacy and dumped into a river. In Chapter 3, oh boy, Batgirl jumps into the river right after taking off her utility belt and cape and pulls Supergirl out. We then come upon a page with zero dialogue and one which surely is is for the shippers. Babs giving mouth-to-mouth to Supergirl, then, once that doesn't work, gets her to breathe from a tire. <coughs> The two then devise a plan to stop Lilibet. Attacking her once more, Supergirl is interrupted by the arrival of the real Cleopatra, demanding her rod back and makes short work of Supergirl as an example of her power. Not wanting to lose her own control, Lilibet restores Supergirl's full power, but Supergirl then takes the rod away from her and throws it into the sun. With order restored once more, the real Cleopatra was revealed to be Batgirl in disguise. Lilibet tries to pass the last 12 hours off as her being under the spell of the scepter and hopes the nation will forget it. Her guy friend, who has been there all along, explains that he was just along for the ride and to be sure she didn't get into too much trouble. And then we end with an epilogue with Linda and Clark on a motorcycle and Clark feeling sorry for Linda and her difficulties fitting in. And her roommate completely misrepresenting what Clark and Linda's relationship is. Yeah. Wow. So the quote of this issue is certainly, wow, Batgirl, you certainly know how to fill up a girl's lungs. <laughs> what? <laughs> I I don't know. This, you know, to, oh, see, wow. uh, to see Batgirl giving mouth-to-mouth to Supergirl was, I just thought, oh, my word, what is going on? Well, somebody had to. and uh, yeah. It, it's kind of funny in the black and white of this Batgirl showcase. It kind of looks like Batgirl's naked from behind oh, in that scene where she's dragging Supergirl out of the water. Well, she did have enough time to pull off her... Utility belt and yeah. I know. So well that would have dragged her that would have just weighed her down and she's got chemicals in that utility belt and you know, those aren't cheap. So Yeah. Oh. I'm gonna stop trying to explain that. Yeah. So uh Superman family actually took over the numbering of I believe it was Jimmy Olsen. because uh, Jimmy Olsen and Lois both had um, separate series up until this point. And then they merged that into Superman Family and continued the numbering from there. And eventually you would get a lot of really weird stories, like Crypto would have his own serial for a while there. That was really strange. <laughs> Crypto just hanging out. Uh, the Earth 2 Superman 
had his own stories as well, uh, where he it was Mr. and Mrs. Superman, because this was after the Earth Two. It was revealed that the Earth Two Superman married his Lois Lane, and it would show them being a young couple in love and getting into wacky hijinks because it was the the seventies. So, but uh, what a yeah. what a weird story. Um, you were very right. The inking is not the only problem. <laughs> I didn't even focus on the inking. I was <laughs> well, just kind of, yeah. I saw the name Vinny Coletta. He's, he's kind of legendary for sucking. Oh, I see. So <laughs> he, he ruined Don Heck's art through most of the seventies in DC books. Oh, so, no. but you'll, you'll see some of that. Oh. Um, and Batman family, the Batman, which is next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there's a there, there's a story in issues I think nine and ten that he utterly ruins. So, uh, but uh, this is a wonky story, and the whole setup of weren't they friends at this point? Uh, yeah, I mean, the last time we saw these two together was in Adventure Comics number three eighty one, where it's you know the Supergirl gang, and. They're kind of undercover, but th- yeah, they should be friends. And I was wondering why uh, or how or when Kara went from Stanhope College to New Athens in Florida. That, unfortunately, I can't tell you because the Bronze Age is a big old blind spot for Superman for me. Okay. I am, uh, I'm working on getting a full run of everything so I can read it and know it and put it with all the other useless knowledge about Superman that I have crammed into my skull uh, over the last couple of decades. But um, she moved around quite a lot. Supergirl, unfortunately, especially in the 70s, they really didn't know what to do with her as a character. So, you know, she'd be in college. She'd be starring on a soap opera. It was very, very strange. She moved to Chicago at one point when she got her own series in the 80s. So, uh, but yes, Linda... (laughs) Linda Lee was a was a soap opera star, much like Mary Jane. Oh gosh, which really did well for her secret identity. Um, this story has a moral, and that moral is guys will follow around girls with British accents and do pretty much anything for them. Yeah, th- I mean this Danny. Per- I'm just wondering what exactly constitutes too much trouble for you. Because apparently taking over the United States is not that's that's okay. That's not you know maybe it's kicking not, a dog would be bad. I don't know. It's not like she did anything permanent, like abolish the Constitution. Yeah. Wow. Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, and I, lo- I I I love and hate her dialogue. Core. Yeah, and 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 I wonder, did you know what she was saying when she said "struth"? Um, it is, uh, they, they attribute this to Digger Harkness, Captain Boomerang as well. It's kind of a, it's the truth. Oh, okay. But kind of like all together, like most of the Southern accent. Was Digger around at this point? Oh yeah. Okay. He was a Silver Age character. Okay. But, uh, never let it be said that comic book writers, uh, will never overuse slang that is probably decades out of uh out of fashion as i have found out in recent years so but it separates her from the pack 
it's not as bad as reading rogue dialogue from the X-Men that is horrible and horrendous to <laughs> still. <sighs> I, I just, um, I don't really have all that much to say about this story because it's a, it's a very typical Silver Age story, which is why I was kind of surprised to see it in the Bronze Age. Because it, it's goofy, you know, they put these two together with the, <laughs> the weakest of reasons. She's going to show Barbara around, and they're going to bond, because they're both having it kind of rough, because they're girls. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> there were, and, and another thing about that is I didn't really appreciate the whole dig at Babs getting her Congress seat because of her father's career. Mm-hmm. And I thought, um, didn't we already gain a lot of respect for this character? Why are we going back to the way it was? Yeah. So I do agree with that. One thing I did like was that one page where they they have those arrows going down just in case you were confused as to how mm-hmm. to read the comic. <laughs> and so and so they have, you know, the transformations of Supergirl and then Batgirl. So Page's fully done. Yes. Maybe that's why Batgirl has a collar because she can just wear a regular button-up shirt and the collar pops through and she can wear her suit underneath. Is this what we're led to like she wears a lot of sweaters or something and it looks like she's wearing a a shirt underneath one of those fake turtleneck things that they used to make dickies yes (laughs) i think that's what they were called yes i know that's what like the fake shirt and tie thing was called so i don't know yeah same for uh for a a fake turtle why would you (laughs) is it really that important to wear the turtleneck do can you not be led into the love in without it i mean seriously come on no um, you know, what's weird is every time, well, I guess every time by the last time that we saw the Justice League with Batgirl, they were also under mind control. So, and that was when, uh, Queen Zazala, uh, in Justice League America, number 60. And I'm just wondering, is she ever going to meet them when they're not under mind control? I really can't remember. I want to say yes. Because she she's... is a member later on. I mean, I have yet to get to that, but... I, I just wonder, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but I don't think a lot of the members knew that Oracle was at one point Batgirl. So. Right. Yeah, very true. Um, not that she didn't deserve to be in there. In fact, I have something to send to you, as a matter of fact. Oh. Mm-hmm. These oh. little stickers that came in an issue of Wizard, right around the time that they had the big lineup in JLA where Oracle joined and and they had like headshots of all the characters like Superman and Batman and the little Oracle symbol and a buddy of mine sent me a bunch of copies of it so I figured I'd send it to you and you could put your little Oracle sticker on your computer oh yeah thank you okay i don't know i'm just flat. now i'm at this page with the the mouth to mouth and i just i'm sorry there, I should look if there's any fan fiction on this particular. This particular. I, I, I am sure there. I, well, I, I, I would put good money on the fact that there's Supergirl, Batgirl, slash fiction out there. Uh, um, yeah. Never really. It's like I can understand fan fiction, you know. Yeah. I get, you know, I could see someone sitting down and going, you know, I really want to tell a story where Aquaman and the Flash team up. Yeah. Where I part ways with these people is the moment they go, and then in the middle of it, they have sex. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Angry, as our friend George once yes, said to us. <laughs> angry slash, yeah, exactly. But uh, the great thing about this scene is that there is absolutely no dialogue. So it makes it even kind of creepier yes. that, that you don't have her thinking, 
oh man, I got to try mouth to mouth. Oh wow, this isn't working. Okay, that tire over there, that's got a lot of air in it. Let me put her <laughs> mouth on it. <laughs> and then on the next page, imagine if there were no uh, dialogue just for the first two panels. You yeah. know, you have her. You know, finally Kara's waking up, one eye is open, and then the next one, she's kind of like provocatively rubbing her belly, I guess, because her lungs are now filled with oxygen, and I don't know. Shippers, feeling down. It's like wow. I feel pretty. Oh dear. So pretty. I feel pretty and pretty. And 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 it looks like Barbara is averting her eyes. Like she's really uncomfortable with how Supergirl is posing herself right now. Yeah. Um. Quick note: This is my least favorite Supergirl costume ever. With the short shorts there. Yeah, and I don't like the symbol being kind of almost a lapel type thing. Um, I much prefer her with, like, the full shirt, the full symbol. So, but then again, what the hell do I know? I like the headband from the 80s, so. (laughs) Uh, My friend Scott Gardner will be very happy that she threw it into the sun. Because he was always talking about Superman throwing things into the sun. So. Well, I, I'm just surprised someone from, like, a Smithsonian Institute didn't run on the scene and say, what did you just do? That was a priceless artifact. Did, but, did you like the constant references to Carter Hall? I did enjoy that, and I'm surprised he didn't, you know, come out with the, uh, the Justice League, actually. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that Hawkman wasn't there. Maybe he would have been the one that went, hey! Yeah. <laughs> I just found that thing. What's also funny about the Justice League, that was one of the things that kind of confused me. Um, When, you know, she feels like she's dying, and uh, who explains it? It's Black Canary. She explains, it's the sound of the wavelength of your body. (laughs) That sounds vaguely rude. I don't know, right? And then Black Canary screaming in her ear, that kind of gave me shivers. But, yeah, Yeah, again... See, this, this is where I was confused. Babs wasn't under the mind control. Supergirl wasn't under the mind control. So at first, I'm like, okay, so can she only control men? But then Babs is under her control. Now, I know that Alex Ross draws Black Canary to look like a man in a wig. But that doesn't mean that Black Canary is actually a man. So I'm really confused why these two are the only... And Superman has the same powers as Supergirl. Yeah. So it would make sense that if she fought off the hypnosis, that he would too. But no, he's right there with her. So it, it's it's a big old plot hole that they never really explain. Well, they did, if you go back to the shipper, shipper page, and then on the right of that, she does, uh, Batgirl has a little thought bubble. And she says, I think it's because the three of us happened to be on the new Athens campus the day Lilibet discovered the scepter, and, and oh, we have a oh. flashback, Struth! I wouldn't want my to dominate my chummies with this. I wouldn't want to control the minds of anyone at New Athens. And so Batgirl pieces together that everyone at New Athens, so her, Supergirl, and Danny were all not under mind control. But everyone everywhere else was. Well, never let it be said that I will miss a major plot point just completely. So I feel very silly now. Well, you shouldn't feel silly because, I mean, if you look across the page, you have Batgirl giving mouth-to-mouth with Supergirl. So yeah. anyone could have been distracted and missed that, you know, pivotal moment. <laughs> you know? And it's right below 
Supergirl stroking her belly. So it's really, it's forgivable, I would say. Uh, I think before we wrap this up, I would like to talk about this epilogue because um, it seems strange. Like we're really trying to say that Supergirl's an alien and not fitting in well and Clark feels bad for her. But do you, do you have anything to say about this epilogue? I don't like it because Supergirl has really proven herself to me at this point. You know, she went through the whole secret weapon of Superman. He revealed her to the world. You know, she lived with the Danvers. So really, at this point, she should be pretty much in her own. You know, she she should just be starting her life. And you have this whole awkward scene where he's like, Linda's trying awfully hard to be normal, a normal young woman, trying to belong on this planet that's adopted us. Not realizing that we already we already belong where we are doing what we do best. What? I mean, it's not as weird as, hey, Linda, do you know it's nearly 2 a.m. and we've got work tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. I'm all for having a good time, but what if a student or board member saw you gallivanting, doing ho- who knows what with who knows whom? Hey, the guy's just my cousin. Sure he is. Oh, dear. Yeah, because, you know, Clark looks like the happening guy in his blue suit. And black and red striped tie. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. I do like how they write that, that roommate in and how there's that little editorial note that, you know, they were roommate. Yeah, to check out when they became roommates. <laughs> I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, that was... What happened is that they wrote that in the script and then editorial threw that in so that people would... So that people wouldn't write in and go, when did she become the roommate? They were just friends, blah, 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 blah. Well, <laughs> but then again, comic fans would never do something like that. Yeah, and what you, what many people probably don't know is that there, you know, there are shippers out there for Linda and Sherry. So, like, <laughs> they call it Larry. <laughs> <laughs> go on fanfiction.net, yeah. So, so, so would Clark and Babs be Clabs? Clabs, wow. It's Which kind of sounds like a social disease. Yeah, it does, yeah. Clabs. Don't get the clabs. <laughs> um, so what grade would you give this issue? Uh, I'm going to give this 5 out of 10. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just because the, the plot itself is silly, the execution is very silly, and it's like the upside is you got to see them kiss, but that really <laughs> doesn't work out well either. So Why do you... As the upside? Are you joking? Yes, I am joking. I was meant to be humorous. I'm not serious. (laughs) It's not like I was sitting there reading it this morning going, man, this is hot. I mean, no. Oh, gosh. (laughs) One, the artwork isn't that good. And two, um, okay, that shouldn't be like the reason why I don't think it's not hot, but still. (laughs) Oh, boy. I'm writing myself into a corner, so I'm going to or stop. something. Yeah, I would give it a 6 out of 10. Uh, I thought that the uh, Supergirl, Batgirl, or what would you call that? Cabs? Cabs, which is close to Clabs. Or Labs. Linda and, and Babs. That's true. Labs, yeah. That kiss kind of brought it down for me. I don't know. That was strange. Or Binda. Binda. Oh, boy. And, but I do, I gave it one point better than you just because I do like Supergirl, Batgirl team ups. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's, that's nice. And I guess, I mean, this isn't as good as the, the, the one that Brian Q. Miller wrote, which I, I recommend that one for sure for you to read. Um, it's 18, I believe. 
And, but yeah, 6 out of 10. And that's where I'm going to end episode 26. Supergirl plus Batgirl equals cabs. Uh, thanks again to Michael Bailey. Be sure to tune in. Probably tomorrow uh, you'll get episode 27, Groovy Baby. And that will be the part two of the episode that I did with Michael Bailey. So thanks for tuning in. And until next time, which should be rather shortly, fly on cabs, lovers. Get it, guys? Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?